Um, we're continuing our series in Acts. We're studying Acts 13 and 14 tonight, and I'm going to cover everything, so we'll be here for about three or four hours. Um, just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, let, me, uh, let me pray again. Just uh, feel called to do that, led to do that. God, I pray that you would give us faith to believe the good news of Jesus afresh. Help us to hear it afresh and to believe it afresh. Uh, Bless my words, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you're like me and you grew up in the church, um, you grew up thinking that being a missionary was just about the coolest thing in the world. Maybe you're not like me, but my uncle was like that. He was, he was kind of a hero to me. He was a missionary, and so I grew up, and I wanted to be a missionary. And today, um, we're looking at the first, quote-unquote, missionary journey. Um, and the, the Holy Spirit has had missionary journeys happening throughout Acts so far. Um, it's just that this, has been a little bit, this passage is a little bit more explicit about the Holy Spirit saying, set apart these two guys for the work that I'm going to do. And so really what, what I want us to kind of get is um, the freedom for all of us to be missionaries and to be sent by God uh, to the different places where he has put us. I happen to be a vocational missionary. I'm a missionary to the campus with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I feel sent by InterVarsity, and I, I feel sent by this church to go and serve um, those students there. Um, to proclaim the good news, uh, to help them learn to follow Jesus as they're making decisions in college. Um, it's wonderful. Um, maybe you're a missionary in a different place. Maybe you're a missionary as a mom, um, as a teacher, uh, as an engineer, as a musician, whatever it may be. Um, I believe that God, one of the things, good news of the gospel is that we can do all things for him and be sent by him to different places and be free to, to do that to love people and to honor God um, and not have that be a burden. But if you're like me again, when you're doing your job and you think about God, what he wants you to do, sometimes there's this uh, question that we ask is, do I measure up? Am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I uh, going to honor God? Am I going to mess up? Um, When I look inside myself, um, I don't match up with with Jesus, and I see that, and I wonder, am I going to be enough? Am I going to be able to do enough? Um, And I think of that as kind of the the demand for perfection, right? And there are times in my job when I feel set free from that, and I'm just free to love students. One of the things that, one of the ways that I most experience that freedom is uh, when I can share my weaknesses with students. and enter into their weaknesses and say, despite your weaknesses, God loves you. And even when you don't measure up, uh, he loves you and he's with you. And you're free to go and, and to do the things that he's inviting you to do. And uh, to see, that, to see them, that burden get lifted off, the burden of being perfect. Right? We, all, we all feel that. Am I going to measure up? Am I going to be loved or am I going to be rejected? And in some ways, this missionary journey that we're going to look at tonight is kind of God's proclamation to the world that he has given, given the world the perfection of Jesus. And that's good news that he's taking, that they're taking out to the world. Um, so 
question that I want you to think about is hopefully you identify with that need to be perfect in some way of your life. Maybe it's not that phrase. It's just kind of how I've come up with it. But it's a need to be something more than you are. And if you were exposed as just what you are, you wouldn't want that. God wouldn't want that. You need something else. Um, so I want you to think about that. What is that need in you and how are you handling it? So let me give you an overview of this missionary journey and then we'll unpack what they're saying. So if you go to the next slide. Um, so the church in Antioch is unique um, in that it is made up of Christians and Jews. Um, there, That's the first place that people explicitly preached to the Gentiles, right? Um, and they're all working together. This is the first place that actually we get the name Christians from, from, from this place. Um, so I think that that's interesting. Well, the leaders of this church are a diverse group from all different um, kind of strata of society, different, some from North Africa, some from Cyprus, some from Tarsus and Turkey, some from uh, Palestine, right? There are all sorts of different cultural, but they're all Jews, and they're praying, and God says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. Um, and we're so close, but actually, it's not just Paul and Barnabas. They go with John Mark, so actually, this is the world's first PB&J, um, so that's pretty cool. Um, at any rate, um, God says, set them apart for my work, and he sends them out. Right? Now, if you don't know, Joseph, actually Barnabas, right? that's going to come back later, uh, Barnabas is from Cyprus, so the first thing that they do, I, I like to think that they're a little nervous, and they're like, well, we're going to go to the Gentiles eventually, but let's just start off with, with some softballs, and we're going to go to my hometown of Cyprus, which is just kind of off the coast of um, Palestine. And they, this are really short what happens on Cyprus. It's like, and they preach in the synagogues, and then they go to, oh, I, I forgot to write it down. I think it's Perga, but sorry, I'm embarrassed that I forgot. But anyway, they go to, um, maybe it's, maybe I should look it up. Salamis, thank you. Sounds right. At any rate, they get there in like one verse, and then when they're there, they um, convert a man named Sergius Paulus, a, a proconsul, a ruler there of the Romans. Um, great story. You should read it. Um, we learn there that Saul is actually called Paul, in the little tidbit. Paul is just his Roman name. Jesus, God didn't rename him. That's just his other name that he's always had, and he uses it when he's with Romans so that they kind of relate to him a little bit more easily. Um, so after that, the majority of these, this whole voyage is spent with the next stage in Antioch. They sail from Cyprus um, to, Ant well, not to Antioch, to a place called Perga. And then it's, it's possible, Perga's really swampy, it's possible that they're going to try and share the gospel there, but it's possible that Paul got malaria. I did that. In some of my research, they said that in Galatians, it says that he, it was because of an illness that he goes to Antioch. So maybe... Part of being a missionary, if you've been a missionary overseas, you get malaria sometimes, right? Still happen there. Yeah, I see a hand raised in the back. Um, and so he goes inland to get away. To, he goes to a dry spot to get away, and he goes to Antioch. But the majority of this time is spent on his sermon, what Paul says to the Jewish people in Antioch. Um, and he has a great response from them, but also the, there's this pattern. He has a great response. And then the next week, everybody comes back. It says practically the whole city comes back. And um, the Jews get jealous, and they start to oppose Paul and Barnabas because John Mark left them 
forgot to mention that. John Mark left them when they first got to Perga, and it might be because it's malaria, and it might be because, hey, we're going to Gentiles and people that I don't know, and I don't know what they're going to do with me, so I'm going to head home. So sadly, the PB&J is broken up. Um, but if you remember that Barnabas is also Joseph, and you call him Barney Joe, it's still a PB&J, so it's good. Um, I just couldn't help myself with those jokes. I, I apologize. Um, where was I? So the Gentiles um, come, and they want to hear, and the Jews oppose them. And Paul and Barnabas, they're bold, and they say, well, we had to come to you first, but uh, God has proclaimed that we are going to be a light to the Gentiles, and so if you don't want it, we're going to go be a light to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles rejoice, and the word of the Lord goes out to the whole area, right? Until the Jews get so mad that they stir up persecution, um, and they get them kicked out of town, they get them kicked out of the region. And so that from there they go on to Iconium, um, where basically the same thing happens. People receive them well, Jews oppose them, they stick around for a while until the, the Jews and the rulers there want to kill them, and then they run away so they don't get killed. Keeps happening. Um, in Lystra, um, the bad luck happens, right? Um, they're, they're, I think in Lystra, it's more of a Gentile audience because you see that Paul isn't in the synagogue, he's just out in the open. He sees a guy crippled from birth, sees that he has faith to be healed. So, of course, he prays a long prayer. No, he just says, he looks at the guy in the eye and he says, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. And, of course, everybody is amazed at the power of God in their midst. And what do they do? Being Gentiles, they try to offer sacrifices to their gods. And so Paul and Barnabas are rending their clothes and trying to convince them that they're just, they're just men and to turn from these dead idols to the living God. Well, right then... It seems in the narrative, Jews from Antioch and Iconium are so mad at them that they follow, and they convince the crowd to turn against Paul and Barnabas, and they stone Paul and drag him outside the city, thinking that he's dead, Um, but the disciples gather around him. He rises back up again, walks into town, and the next day leaves leaves to Derbe, Um, and that's pretty much the end of the story because it basically says, and they preached the good, good news in Derby and then went home, encouraging the churches, setting leaders, um, and then going back to Antioch. Um, so the amazing thing about this when you read it, being a missionary, I think it just seems so easy. They show up, they preach, people come to faith, the word spreads to the whole region, and then they go home, right? But it, it's, it's much harder than that. Um, he, Paul died. <laughs> Um, Paul had somebody desert him and abandon him in ministry. Um, Paul had people that were receptive uh, say, no, no, I, don't, I actually don't want that. I don't want the good news. Um, so his missionary journey is fraught with the sort of things that our daily lives with, are fraught with, broken relationships, um, people being angry with us, conflict, death, um, persecution, fear of what other people are going to think, um, what other people are going to do. And this isn't even though it's two short chapters and it seems like things are bang, 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 it's a two-year journey. So that by the time Paul is done, he's been in these places long enough that he can go back and appoint elders, right? People that are progressing in the faith. You don't appoint an elder the day after uh, they came to faith. It takes some time to see how, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit doing in them. So that's how long it's been that they're on the road and loving these people and doing ministry. Um, and I like... You, th- you think about that, and the whole time he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have anybody to, to support him. He's probably working with his hands to pay the, pay the bills. 
Um, and he's suffering for this. And the question is why, right? Because I do, what I don't want us to do is think about that standard of like persecution, hardship, death, suck it up, people, right? That he did it, so you got to do it too. And uh, find, find the willpower. Do it. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that um, Paul says something in his sermon to the people of Antioch that to me gives insight into how he's able to, to do this um, and how he's able to really suffer, um, to die, be raised by God again, and then the next day to go do it again, right? The next day, it says he went and did it again. Um, where does that sort of uh, life and vibrancy for God's mission come from, that sort of love for God and love for the people around us? Where does that come from? Um, so that how can we continue to love people when they reject us? How can we continue to fix relationships in the church when people hurt us? How can we take a risk and uh, share our faith with someone when we don't feel like doing it, when we feel like they're going to reject us? Right? We, those things are life to us, and we want to do them, but we're often afraid. How do we enter into the work of missionaries that God is giving us to do? So let me read for you. I would love to go through the, the sermon that Paul gives to the church in Antioch, or to the synagogue in Antioch, but I'm just going to share with you a little bit about it in the last verse. Um, so Paul's preaching the Messiah to a Jewish audience. Now, when a Jewish audience was thinking about the Messiah, they're thinking, uh, Israel has kicked out Rome, so come on home. We're ready to rumble, right? The kingdom of God and Israel is never going to end, and... We're going to take over the world. Booyah, let's go home, kind of a thing. Um, so Paul starts, he, he makes certain to back up his ser- sermon with scripture that prophecy demands that the Messiah be killed um, and says that he is going to rise again. Because you can't say, Jewish Messiah died. Right? That can't be, your, that can't be the, the lead. You've got to bury the lead a little bit so that they'll listen to you. And he makes sure to set it up like, this is a Jewish thing. He is a Jewish Messiah. And if you go back and look, this is actually what it says. Maybe you should do that. But then he, the, the culmination is this, this sentence. Um, let me let's read it. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Um, now that's powerful stuff um, and it's hard for us to kind of grab a hold of that because we don't live under the law of Moses um, so I'm going to try and help us understand it a little bit better um, one thing about the law of Moses right? it's got all these regulations and all these things that happen and as Christians we kind of think forgiveness of sins that's part of the deal with God but the law of Moses did not make any uh, provision for uh, intentional sinning. Um, it made provision for if you accidentally kill your neighbor, right? if this thing accidentally happens, then you can do this um, thing to, to atone for it, and then you can come back and worship the Lord. But if you intentionally sin, if you are an adulterer, if you're a murderer, um, if you kidnap, if you sell someone into slavery, you're going to be killed or you're going to be cut off from God's people and not able to worship. And that's what the law says. So if you're a a Jew living under that, 
the standard is perfection or death or I'm kicked out, all right? Um, I don't know about you, but I identify with that. There's things that I, part of the fear that I have is that if I mess up, it's going to mean I'm cut off from love or some sort of death, if not a physical death, and a spiritual death inside of me. Um, so the, the Jews, uh, the Pharisees, kept the law perfectly, right? The letter of the law, they kept it perfectly. But what the law can't do, it doesn't legislate uh, thoughts so much. So when Jesus shows up, he says, it's not so much that you don't commit adultery, right? If you lust, if you want to commit adultery, that's just as bad from God's perspective, right? Because God doesn't want someone who's constantly lusting after everybody and thinking about it. Yeah, come on over. I want to have a good conversation with you, right? That, that kind of thing inside of us, right? The law doesn't handle that as well. So Jesus comes and elevates it so that it's clear that um, even if you aren't breaking it physically, you, you're breaking it in thought, and the other thing that the law doesn't do is it doesn't, um, can't make you love God, right? Uh, it's when people are, when you're, when you're imposing rules as a parent that you're, you don't feel like your kids love you very much in that moment, right? What you want down the road is for them to see how much you loved them by being consistent with them so that they can see he did that because he loved me, right? But when somebody's cracking cracking in the whip, and the law is saying, no, you are wrong. That doesn't make you love God. So that's why God actually says, meditate on this. You need to think about it a lot, because in the moment, you're going to hate me. But if you think about it a lot, it's designed to, to show you how much I love you and to show you your need for me, right? That's what the law was supposed to do. It could not set you free. It's supposed to point to God's love for you, not to point to your ability to keep it and, to, and therefore to get to God. The law was never intended to do that. So in some ways, there's this threat of death, there's this sense of imperfection, and there's this chasm of separation from God. And that is what the law of Moses is trying to do. And that is what it, well, it's trying to create those realities. And so when it says that you have been set free from everything that could not free you in the law of Moses, it means forgiveness of sins, which is you won't be cut off from God and from his people. It means that God is going to give you love for him, that God is going to draw you close to himself and never, never send you away because of forgiveness of sins. And that is an amazing promise right? and an amazing gift. Um, so what I want you to think about a little bit is if it's, for us as Christians, there's some things that we often um, substitute, right, we, we don't necessarily have the law of Moses, but we'll substitute things for the law of Moses um, and use them in the same way that, that the Jews used the law, which was to kind of say, hey, God, this is, here it is. I've kept it, and you need to love me now. I'm worthy of love. This is my ticket, right? And so in a way, I want you to think about, I'm not going to ask you to think about it right now. We're going to take some time for this later. I want you to fill in the blank, right? If it says, um, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of fill in the blank. Now, what is that for you? It could be the law of being the perfect parent. If I am the perfect parent, then I will get into heaven. I will get eternal life. If I am 
the perfect student. If I get straight A's, right, valedictorian, then that's my worth. That will make people love me. That will prove that I'm good enough, right? Um, what is the dream? What is the hope that when you get there, when you're able to do it, maybe it's just something simple. If I can just stop being lazy and be productive, right? If I can stop wasting my time and use it wisely and redeem everything, then I'll be lovable, right? What would it mean for God to say, whatever that thing is for you, you've been freed from the law of that thing. The definition of who you are is not from that thing anymore. It's given to you from, from Jesus. Um, and I hope that thinking about it that way might make it come alive to us a little bit more in our lives. Um, So the interesting thing about this is that this is great news. If we're aware of the things that we're trying to do and, and, and their limitations, if we're aware of what the law is intended for and its limitations, then God's showing up and saying, hey, um, I've, I've met the, the lim- I've, I've closed the gap. I've overcome those limitations. That's good news. But what we see in this missionary journey is that when the good news comes, there are those that get that, and there are those that cling to the, to the faith, and they get encouraged in that. Hold on to that, right? Don't go back to these other things, that the law. Don't go back to idols. Don't go back to whatever it is. Hold on to the, the good news. But there are those that reject it. There are those that cling to those idols, that cling to something else. Um, so uh, I think uh, for the Jews, right, um, We've, we've talked about this a lot as we're looking at Easter and kind of um, what Jesus is doing in the week leading up to Easter um, and how the Jews are worshiping the temple, right? And Jesus is saying, no, the temple should point to me and I'm going to destroy it because I'm the fulfillment of it. But if you're worshiping the temple, you don't want the new temple. And Jesus comes and says, I'm fulfilling the law and I, I fulfilled it and I'm giving you righteousness. But if you worship the law, then you have no interest in Jesus, You have no interest in what God is going to give to you. Um, And so I think what happens with the Jews is that they're worshiping the law. And so when they see, at first they they think it's fine, but then they see the Gentiles coming in. And that means the law doesn't matter. If If Gentiles can come in, then the law doesn't matter. And I can't know. Then how do I know that I've got that? How do I know that I'm better than them? Right? These Gentiles that are dogs, right, in the mind of the Jews, that the Jews are God's chosen people and they're better than them. If I can't keep score, how do I know that I'm better than everybody? Um, and that's what, that's what these blanks are for us. They're ways of keeping score, right, whatever it may be. Um, it could be silly things, right? Any, I think any little thing that we can hold on to, for me sometimes it's like ultimate Frisbee, right? I'm good at ultimate Frisbee. And nobody can take that away from me, Right? Um, some things are really important, but the Jews hold on to the law and they say, no, um, you can't take that. can't take that. I'm going to oppose you and say that interpretation of scripture is wrong, right? You can't, that's not, he's not the Messiah. This is not right. Um, the Gentiles, right? You would think the Gentiles wouldn't do the same things, but when Paul comes, um, and does this miracle of healing the man and the crippled man walking, the Gentiles, they immediately go back to these old ways of thinking, 
right? These, it's Zeus and Hermes in the flesh, right? They're talking about Jesus, but whatever. It's Zeus and Hermes in the flesh, right? Um, and so there's this new power, and I'm going to try to fit it into this old way of thinking, right? These old idols, these old um, things that I'm trying to get control over the universe with, right? Because um, in the pagan cultures, um, the gods are mean. They're fickle. You don't know what they're going to do, and then that's life, right? So you give sacrifices, and you appease them, hoping that if they're happy, then they'll bless you, and your life will be okay. You get a form of control. Well, they're trying to take this good news and put it into the old, old way of thinking. Go back, go back from freedom into slavery. Um, and I think that they, want, they too want to kill Paul and Barnabas because they don't want to let go of those old ways of control those old ways of defining themselves, of old ways of, well, I'm keeping my God happy, right? This is my way of keeping my God happy and appeasing that God. And so I think for us today, um, we need to think about those two responses, right? Am I worshiping the law of morality um, and trying to be a good enough person and hanging my hat on that instead of the work of Jesus? Or am I worshiping money, beauty, fame, success. And uh, it's great that Jesus died for me because now I have power to go and get, make money, right? Um, I have this power on my behalf to make my life great. Um, that's how we, 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 we run away from faith in Jesus. Um, and so I don't want to close with that. I don't want to close with... Um, what is the thing that you're worshiping instead of Jesus? I want us to think about something a little bit more. Um, when you read the end of the story in Acts chapter 14, the closing just sort of struck me as I was getting ready for this. Um, it says, when they get back to Antioch, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. And the phrase that stood out to me is, declared all that God had done with them. There's a sense of which they didn't have to come back and report to their donors how many students came to faith, right, to feel like they did a good job. Um, and they didn't have to feel like they had to sugarcoat yeah, I died, and that was bad, um, and uh, sorry about that. I should have done a better job with uh, how I handled those cross-cultural situations. I'm learning, and I'll do it better next time. They had the proper perspective on what they were doing with their life, that God was this preposition God, God has done with them. And the first way I thought about that was that I'm a tool in God's hands. And he's going to use that tool how he wants to. God is going to do things with me um, to, to bring people to faith. Um, and I'm free to be used by God as a God's tool. And there is freedom in that. right? Because then if you die, well, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go live with Jesus. Right? I'm going to go be with uh, eternal life starts now. If people reject you, I'm, I'm the tool. God, God is using me how he wants to. Right? It's my job to be a good tool whatever that looks like, the metaphor breaks down a little bit. The other way of thinking about it is that God, um, look at all the things that God has done alongside of me, right? I'm walking with God into the things that he's got going on. 
in my life. And uh, that doesn't make them nervous. Um, if, if God is walking with me and I don't measure up and I'm not being, I, ha- I have not been freed from the law of Moses, then that's a bad thing. I only want to come to God when the job is well, well done. And I can say, here, look, I did this. I did this for you, right? Um, but God is doing it with them. And there's joy in his presence. Um, and there's joy in his presence when it's good and joy in his presence when it's bad. So their perspective, I think, is what freedom looks like. Um, the ability to go through life not work to, as a tool of God and knowing that God is with you. Uh, so the question is, how can that happen? Right? How, does that, how do we turn around? Um, and I just, the good news is that um, God is going to save you, and he has saved you. The story of Paul is a story of the people that he preached to that then killed him because he was a Pharisee, kept the law perfectly. If you read Philippians 3, it says that he had more reason to boast in the law than anybody else. Right? Uh, Jew of Jews, tribe of Benjamin, circ- circumcised on the eighth day, um, as to keeping the law a Pharisee, blameless under the law, as to zeal, persecuting the church, right? It says Paul is breathing out, Saul was breathing out, breathing out murderous threats, right, to kill the church, to stomp it out. He was committed to his idol, right, to the law, right? God loved him and turned him around. Um, and to me, that's great news. Uh, I think that Paul's heart was probably in the right place in that he wanted, he had zeal for God and he wanted to honor God. And I think, though, what happened was he knew that it wasn't happening. Um, happy people that are content with their God don't breathe out murderous threats. Um, I've, I don't know about you, I got mad on vacation about something that happened out of my control and I was really angry at my rental car company. And I was breathing out murderous threats against the rental car company. I was not loving them. But in that moment, it wasn't because of the horrible evil that it d- that had done to me. It was more because of the exposed way that I felt. Because um, it's a long story. You want to ask me about it? I'll tell you. I don't mind sharing the story. But I felt like, I oh gosh, they're going to get some money out of me. And I failed and I'm a failure, and I really hate them, and I want to kill them because they made it happen, right? And if there are Christians over here that are happy, and you're zealously keeping the law, and you are angry, you're going to want to kill them, right? That's what happened. Um, What he wanted was closeness with God. God loved him, and he gave it to him. He saved him. And so what, what happens from that is God took that zeal for him, and he set it free. Uh, he said it free. He said, go, go do what you want to do and bring glory to my name. This other way that you had of doing it was wrong. Go, go you, you want to serve me. You want to love God's people. Go do it. And so he did. Um, he was free when John Mark abandoned him to go and keep going. When he maybe got malaria, he was free to not go home 
right? Because no, I, I'm not done. I want to keep going. I want to go love people. Oh, they're rejecting me. Well, I'm going to go to the people that want, want the good news. How many times do we focus on the people that reject us, right? And like, oh, I suck. Can't do it. Uh, people are saying no, and I feel horrible about myself. And just forget about all the good things that God is doing. He is free to, to go do that, right? It doesn't hold him back. He's free to get killed and keep going, right? To me, that's what freedom looks like, is that kind of life um, where the thing that you really want, God can redeem it, and you can just go do it. I um, hope you don't mind sharing about this conversation from yesterday. Is that okay? Cameron and I were talking yesterday, and he was talking about being a musician and what it would be, what it would look like to be a musician that didn't worry about the fame right, and the glory that was going to come from it and just be able to make music, right, to glorify God or to just make great music and have people enjoy it. If people like it, that's great, and if they don't, that's fine. I'm going to make great music. What is that thing for you, maybe? What would, it, what would your life look like if you could, in grad school, not worry, or as a professor, not worry about tenure as the thing that's going to define you and, go, and just go study this thing? Um, what it would be like for me as a missionary to not say I didn't get enough people to come to my group um, or if people don't come then I'm going to be a failure but to just go do what I want to do right? to just go love people and do it and, and not be held down by that anchor of fear right? that thing that I'm trying to accomplish but that Jesus has set me free from um, and so that's the good news in Christ, those things that you're trying to accomplish to make yourself lovable, presentable, and whole, God has given them to you in Jesus, and you're set free from the law of perfection. Um, so I want us to, to think about these questions. Um, what keeps you from living in the freedom of the gospel? All right, is it the morality, right? I have to be a good person, right? I've got to measure up. Um, is it an idol in your life that you're serving instead of Jesus? I need to be, I need to be successful. If I don't have success, then I don't care about Jesus, right? What is keeping you from coming with faith to just believe the good news? And then secondly, what would your life look like if you actually lived like you were free, right? Paul gave his life that people would know Jesus. That's what he wanted to do. What would your life look like if you were free? Um, so Cameron and the worship team are going to come back up, and they're going to play a reflective song. And our hope is that you're, if God is knocking on your heart and saying, yeah, this is the thing that you need to turn away from so that you can follow me, or you know that thing that you really want to do? Yeah, you should go do that. Because it doesn't matter if it fails, because you're free. We want you to spend some time with these questions and allow God just to work on your heart a bit and uh, to speak to you. So during this song, um, yeah, remember Paul and that when he was dead set against Jesus, God grabbed hold of him. So wherever you are tonight, God can grab hold of you and speak to you. Um, so don't be afraid and let's just go into his presence. Too sweet.